in March of 1985, my family moved to Florence, Alabama. And uh, we bought a house north of the city. Florence, Alabama is one of the Quad Cities. Um, and it was called the Quad Cities because all four uh, city limits of these four cities were the same. They jutted against each other. So it was Florence, Muscle Shoals, Tuscumbia, and Sheffield were the four cities in the northern corner of Alabama where we had moved. And I was going in to help the company I work for uh, transition 13 stores over to our system and ultimately stay to uh, manage a store in downtown Florence. When we bought this house, it was in a subdivision, <clears throat> and um, like any subdivision, you know, it's kind of cookie cutter and houses on each side of the road, and there was a, a house directly across from us and a street beside it, so it was on the corner. But what was interesting was when we moved in, no one from the community, from our neighborhood, not any of the neighbors came to greet us. And we thought, wow, that's, you know, what's with this? Well, a few weeks passed, and nobody ever came to, to greet us. And a few months passed, and no one ever came to greet us. And what we began to notice was no one except us would be out in the yard. We would take Christopher out in the front yard, and I'd play a uh, you know, a ball with him, and uh, we'd go in the backyard, and it was adjacent to everybody else's backyard, and nobody in the neighborhood, you would see them get in their car and leave, and they would come back and pull in their garage, and what is with this? So one night, we heard a commotion outside. And we went to the front window, and in the front window, there was cop cars everywhere. The house down the, right, right near to us on the street that was in front of us. And um, long story short, um, this was a drug house where they were actually making the drugs. And they busted the, the, the whole household there. And so we began to think, okay, the price of our house was, you know, good. That's why we looked at it. It was low. Maybe the people that lived there moved out because they knew. Maybe our neighbors didn't, you know, come out of their house because they knew what was around them and in, in going on in the neighborhood. Just maybe they realized that they were living among the tares, there was evil around them, and they kept to themselves. Maybe our family that was there in the house that we bought decided to pick up and leave. But my guess is, is not everyone was willing to do that, and what they decided was to live among the tares that were around them. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew everything was happening. Um, and 
he knew the scribes and Pharisees were already against him. He knew how they were thinking. He knew there was evil in the world. He knew everything that was happening, but yet he still said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your presence. The kingdom of God is here. It is among you. Yes, there are thorns. There are tears. And the scripture tells us that Jesus began to speak in parables. And so we have been into the parables of Jesus for the last couple of months, uh, teaching uh, what Jesus is preaching And today, we're going to talk about another parable in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. If you want to turn there, turn there and put your finger there, because I want to just talk a little bit more about this kingdom of God before we read this passage. Because you see, if you back up to chapter 12 and you were to look at verse 14, you would see that the Pharisees and the scribes are already plotting against Jesus. It says that they were plotting to destroy him, that they wanted him dead. They wanted nothing that Jesus had to offer. And so Jesus, in in teaching these parables, was teaching to those that would have ears and hear and ultimately understand And so he talks about this kingdom of heaven. And the question is, is what is the kingdom of heaven? And there are certainly several ways that we could answer this question. But basically, the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God throughout the universe. And scriptures tell us, as it proclaims who Jehovah God is, in Psalm 22, 28, It declares that the kingdom of the Lord is here. He rules over every nation. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all the earth. And then Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of the water. And he turns wherever he wishes because he is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all. Isaiah reminds us in the 14th chapter, the 12th through the 17th verse, that Lucifer became filled with pride. And Lucifer, the angel, rebelled against God. And Revelation 12, 3 and 4 tells us that Lucifer took one-third of the angels of heaven with him. One-third to follow him. And since the fall of Lucifer, since the, the, the power that was unveiled at the fall of man, creation has been in turmoil. We have seen this civil war that Satan has brought in the universe and on earth. The forces of evil to defy God. The great thing is, is that Jesus, he's won the battle. 
He won the battle. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from his death for final victory to new life. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But I said Jesus has won the battle. He's won the victory. And we are reminded in Revelation 20.10 that one day Satan will be bound. Satan will be cast into the pit. And that finally this upside down world will be turned right side up. And Satan will be gone. The battle is won. Until then, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.2 that the devil is the prince of the air. In other words, the devil is the prince of this world, wrecking havoc with anyone that he possibly can. And Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle as believers, we wrestle with principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness, and against what Satan brings. This spiritual warfare can be tough, but here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is in our midst. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Before the pandemic, Suku was so gracious in teaching us on Wednesday night. And I remember she would teach through the New Testament letters. She would often look at us and she would say, The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is now. Yes, we've got this wonderful kingdom to look forward to where there's no more crying and no more pain, but the kingdom of heaven is now. It's in your midst. It's a part of who we are. And Jesus gives us this parable, another parable here of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew mentions 32 times in his gospel the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus wants us to understand it. He wants us to know it. And just like the parable of the sower, he uses another farming parable. See, I th- Jesus and I would have gotten really long well because um, I love to farm. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read two sections. We'll come back next week and actually fill in some some spots, but because of the way Matthew has laid this out, because of the way the Holy Spirit led him to lay this out, we're going to read 24 through 30, and then we're going to jump down to 36 through 43. So just keep that in mind as I jump, follow along in your Bible. 1324, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, do you, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the same time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parables of the tares of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned in the fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in the place where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would... Illuminate our hearts and minds. We pray this in your name. Amen. What better one to come to when it comes to the kingdom of heaven than our own king, Jesus Christ? Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And these that are listening hear this, and then he goes into the house, and the disciples come to him and says, says and, and as I said, we're going to look at uh, the inner verses here that I did not read starting next week, but Jesus teaches a, a couple of more parables, and then he goes into the house, and it's interesting that the disciples come back to the parable of the tares and the wheat. Jesus teaches about his kingdom. And this morning, I want to do something a little different. Maybe you have 
heard this preached in many different ways, and I know many of you have heard this and read this parable, and Jesus does a really good job with explaining it in verses 36 through 43. But I want to use four L words this morning. Four L words to kind of delve into um, this parable. And the first one is Jesus wants us to know about his lordship. Jesus wants us to know about his lordship. As we, we study the Bible, as we look at the Old and New Testament, we know that the, the Lord God is Lord over all. He commands everything. He has authority over all the world. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us in verses 28 and 29, And so it was, when Jesus ended saying these things, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as having one having authority, not as the scribes. Not as the scribes. Even when it came to the cross, Jesus was always in control. John tells us in the 10th chapter, verses 17 and 18. And Jesus said, My Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. So the Lordship of Jesus is coming through in all of Scripture, and it comes through in this parable, because Jesus says that he is the sower in this case. That he is the main character. He is the owner of the field. He has control of what is planted in the good seed. He is the one that the servants trust to come to him. He is the one that is over the angels who will reap both the tares and the wheat. He is the one, he is the one that says the enemy came and planted the tares, the weeds among the wheat. Jesus is in control. In Palestine at the time, they would have understood what these tares were. They were called bearded darnel. And, and they would look exactly like the wheat that was growing. And as they grew and as they began to pot out, it is then that the color would change and you could see the tares among the wheat. And, and so the, the reapers, the servants come to Jesus and, and they say, Lord, do you want us to take them up? Do you want us? I mean, I thought you sowed good seed. And Jesus, the Lord says, I did. But the evil one, Satan, has come and planted the tares, evil, among the good. 
And then we're told that he makes a decision. The Lord makes a decision. Not Satan, not the reapers, not anyone else. The Lord makes the decision not to reap at that time. Not to take the tares out. That will happen at the final destiny. And so this morning in this parable, we need to first realize that Jesus is Lord over all. He is Lord over the field. And Jesus says the field is the world in which we live in. And there is good and there is evil in the world. And the one that sows evil is Satan, is the devil. Now, I have run across in my lifetime, and I don't know if you have, but there are those that just do not believe that the devil exists. They do not believe that there is evil. A pastor friend years ago, and some of you have heard me say that uh, I knew someone that believed this and, and worked with them, and, and I would have this conversation and he would say, there is no devil. What about scripture? What about Jesus saying that there is a devil, both Old and New Testament? Oh, no. Um, and in fact, there is no evil. Well, what do you call evil? It's just people choosing to do bad things, but you can't call it evil. Well, then is everyone going to heaven? Yes. God is going to save everyone who is ever born gets to go to heaven. Well, what do you do with scripture that says differently? Well, that's not a loving God. I serve a loving God, and a loving God would not damn anyone to hell. John 8, 44. This is Jesus, just to let you know who's, who's saying this. He's talking to the Pharisees, those who are hard-hearted and Christ-rejecting. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. Satan is what Jesus is talking about. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource. For he is a liar and he is a father of all lies. End quote, Jesus speaking. And I will tell you, if you do not believe in Satan and evil, then the evil one is deceiving you. Amen. He is deceiving you. You. The scriptures tell us that there is an intelligent, active, spiritual presence in this world that is opposing God. That Satan and his followers rebel against God. They were cast out of heaven. They continue to try to connect you and me with the original sin that Satan tempted and Lord Adam and Eve to fail God and sin against him. Satan's goal 
is to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good in this world and in you. His desire is to pull you away from the desires of God. But church, but church, our Lord is more powerful, is stronger, has already defeated Satan, and he lives in us. And he will call for the harvest one day. That harvest may come at my death or your death. It may come with his return. But one day, the harvest will come. And Jesus explains in this parable that he is Lord. And it is him who calls for that harvest. No one else. No one else. So very first and foremost, we have to know about the lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus wants us to know about his love. He is the owner of the farm. He is the one who has planted good. He is the one in verses 28 through 30 that tells the servants, do not gather them up right now, because if you do, you're going to disturb the good. You're going to uproot the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest. I am so glad that he didn't bring the harvest in 1972 because I didn't come to the Lord until 1973. He is the Lord of the harvest. And he tarries because of his love for us. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord does not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 6, Paul tells us to pray for our leaders, but then he says, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men. That is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be tested in due time. And then in Matthew 18, 14, Jesus says, It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little children should perish. And then the verse that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there is the key. Jesus is waiting. He is tearing because he does not want anyone to perish. But here is the key. You have to come to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. Though he desires though he gave his life for all who would come to faith, there are those that never come to faith that are never saved. God the Father loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for me and you. Jesus was willing for the suffering 
Jesus was willing to take the pain. Jesus was willing to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the moment that he took the sins of the world, past, present, and future on him? Jesus is, was the only person who could make that sacrifice because he knew no sin. And why did he make it? Over and over again, we're told, because he loved us. He loved us that much. Brian Chappell, in his book, In the Grip of Grace, tells a beautiful story of sacrificial love. You may remember this. I, I would guess that our resident retired pilot uh, knows this story. Northwest Airline Flight 225 on Sunday, August 16th of 1987. It crashed just after takeoff from Detroit. And it actually crashed on a highway with cars on it. The six crew members died. 148 of the 149 passengers died. And two people that were in the cars where it crashed died. There was, as I said, one survivor. That survivor was a four-year-old girl from Tempe, Arizona. Her name was uh, Cecilia. And when the rescue workers found Cecilia, the only person alive, they first thought, well, she had to be in one of the cars. There's no way she could have uh, been one on the plane that survived. But as the investigators began to look, her name is on the flight manifest. And so she was on the plane and survived. And as they began to investigate and to see how in the world this little four-year-old girl survived this crash, this, this horrible, horrendous crash, here's the report that they gave. And I quote, Cecilia's mother, Paula Sharin, unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, she then wrapped her arms around her and her body and would not let her go. Thus, she survived. On the cross, Jesus wrapped his arms that were stretched out around us figuratively. And he took our sin out of us and washed us clean because he loved us that much. Hear me, church. Jesus is not going to give up on you. You may give up on him. He is not going to give up on you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to see you through every valley, everything that you face. Jesus is going to keep his arms around you because he loves you and he cares for you. Jesus could have, in this instance, said, no, go and pull up all the wheat. He could have ended it right there and he could have ended it at any point in time. 
And the only reason we are sitting in this room and the only reason that this world has continued is because Jesus has not called for the harvest yet. He wants us to know he loves us. Third, he also wants us to know about the lost. Every gardener knows that you pull weeds. <laughs> Terry and I, we had these raised beds, and we let it go too long, and um, there were some huge weeds in there. She said, honey, you got to pull these. I can't because there's some things in here I want to keep. And so I pulled the big ones, and she pulled all the little ones. Um, luckily enough, you know, we were able to clean the beds, and we were able to leave what she wanted. Every gardener knows that um, you pull weeds. Spoiler alert, there is going to be a time when God pulls the weeds. Because you see, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. He is a God of judgment. Sooner or later, that question is going to come, what about the weeds? What about the evil that is in the heart of man, in the heart of woman? What about the hatred? What about the bigotry? What about the envy? What about the bitterness and the pride and the lust and the anger and the greed? What about all of that in the world in which we live in? God, when is the harvest coming? One day judgment will come. God loves us. He does. But he's also a God of justice. And he is the only one capable of judging. We love to judge. But he is the only one of being capable of judging the lost and the found. Many Christians today have a problem with this doctrine of eternal punishment. Many say, as I said earlier, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? It's a question that has been asked for tens, hundreds of years. And I find that the best way to answer that question is with Scripture. Matthew 25, 41, the king said, this to those who were lost. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The king is Jesus. Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are Few who find it. There are many people lost in the world today. And Jesus himself refers to those that are lost. He came to call not the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. 
But he also talks about the shut door, the outer darkness, the gnashing of teeth, the, the pain that will come, this fire, this eternal fire that will come. And, and we think, how in the world could God be that God of, of love when it's a God that talks about this terrible fate of those who do not trust him and those that do not leave, live their life for him? God calls sinners to repentance, and those that he calls surrenders. Our risen Savior has come for salvation. He has come in a personal way. As I've said many times before, I cannot save you. Only you and the Lord have that personal relationship. The Lord does the saving. He, and he wants everyone who will trust him, who will surrender to him, to come to faith in him. And those of us that have given our life to Christ, he wants us to know about the lost. Because the lost live in our midst. They're all around us. They work with us. They live in our neighborhoods. They shop with us. They eat with us. Sometimes they come into our house as family or friends. God wants us to know about the lost. And then finally, God wants us to know about the light. I love verse 43. So many times Jesus is teaching and, and, and you hear these hard verses and, and it's like, Lord, come on, give me something, give me hope. And, and Jesus in this parable ends it with, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. The righteous will shine like the sun Jesus wants us to know about this living light. And he says he is the light. How can we be righteous? How can we let the light of Christ shine in us? And you say, well, Marty, I don't do any evil. Um, I think I'm living a pretty good life for Christ. So where does Christ draw the line? It's murder, rape, adultery, thieves, a lot of those hard and really big sins. I, I haven't fibbed on my taxes, I don't think. I'm not gossiping. Sins of commission versus sins of omission. Have I ignored my neighbor that's in need? Have I had pity on someone that is less fortunate than me? Where does God draw the line? And then you go back to Scripture to find the answer, and Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, does that include us? Of course it does. Do I like the idea of a fiery furnace? No, I do not. That's I gave my life to Christ, and I know that Christ has called me and whether, again, it's at my death or when he comes back to reap the harvest, I know that I am his. 
And here's why. Because the light of Christ is in me. This is our hope, folks. Our hope as believers is the very light of Christ lives in me. Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Listen to what this psalm says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his, capital H, faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as light, and your justice as the noon day. Our hope, our very hope, is in the light of the world, whom we have received as believers, the very Spirit of God dwelling in us. So Jesus tells this parable, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom of God. I am the owner, and I love you, and I'm going to tarry. But there's lost around you that live in your midst, and you have the light of Christ in you. And if you are living side by side, those that do not have my light, what are you doing about it? I want to issue a challenge this morning. And it comes with a command. The cross. If you pick up one of these crosses at the end of the service after the benediction, this is not for you. This is for you to give away. This is not for you to keep. This is for you to give away. And you're to give it to someone that is broken or hurting or someone that you know that is lost. And you say, well, what would I say to them? It's very easy. All you got to do is just say, the Lord laid it on my heart to give you this. And that's it. If they pursue anything else, that is up to them. All you've got to say is, the Lord laid it on my heart to give you a cross. To give you this. Don't pick one up if you plan to keep it or never give it away. It's not my intention to give you a cross to put in your pocket. It's my intention to give you a cross so that you can give it to someone else. You can pick up a bunch of them if you intend to give them away. We are a light. The church is to be a city on a hill shining a light of Christ to others. And there are tares all around us who need to know about Jesus. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable. Thank you, Father, for just allowing us to serve you in a way to be used to share the gospel. We are frail. We are sinners. But, Father, you have chosen us to be in relationship, children of yours that we've already read about this morning. And so why would we not share this good news that you have given us? Our hope is in you. Father, may we share the hope of Jesus with others. May it be so. We pray this in your name. Amen.